Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. We talk about the benefits of the cooperative business model. And this morning, we have Mr. Richard LaRochelle, who's retired, but he's in here. He doesn't look retired. (laughs) He spent 43 years in the cooperative business world, and he's been married for 42 years. And he looks real young, so I don't know how he did all of that. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Vernon. It's a pleasure to be here today. I've often admired you, appreciated working with you a little over the years, and being on your show is a, is a real blessing. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. I did not learn about co-ops, uh, Richard, until 20-some years ago, and you've been doing it for 43. I wish I had learned about co-ops early on in life, uh, but I really, really like this model. Uh, so what what is some of the lessons you've learned over the years as it relates to co-ops? Well, I was lucky uh, uh, early in my life to uh, have uh, begun working for the electric co-ops to begin with and and then to work for a finance co-op owned by the electric co-ops. And uh, it's been just a wonderful experience. I think from a lessons learned perspective, the power of the co-op model is what we can accomplish together. Helen Keller has a a saying that alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. And that's really, I think, the motto of the, of the co-op. So people come together to accomplish something by joining together, everyone contributing, whether it's capital or whether it's volunteer time, whether it's hours, whether it's skills. By working together, we can do so much for each other and for our communities. And to me, that's the benefit of the co-op model. What's amazing, even if you take the church or the synagogue or any religious organization, the 10%, if you will, put a little bit in. If everybody put a little bit in, how much one can accomplish. And this is what I like is a cooperative coming together, cooperative working together. Yeah, I like this. That's what I like about this model. That's exactly right. Even when co-ops get into trouble, which every business does over time, if people stay together and work together, those problems get solved. Uh, that's just at the heart of the co-op model, and I think it's probably at the heart of the of the human spirit to some degree. Well, I believe that, that the human spirit is, I mean, if you go way back, you got the tribes, the clans, or whatever you want to call them, groups of people working together, and if they didn't work together to fight off the dinosaurs or whatever was there, exactly, that they were being hunted, man was being hunted. If you didn't work together, then... He would not have survived, so survival. Exactly. So what a co-op does, it takes that part of the human spirit that I think this is in all of us that desires to work together, to collaborate with others for a common goal, and it uses that spirit as a basis of a business model. One of the things I'm doing in retirement <laughs> is teaching a class at the University of Mary Washington on the co-op business model. I really appreciate that the business college there 
is willing to to have such a class because very few universities uh, colleges around the country teach the co-op business model and uh, one of the things we do with the students is we we start by explaining the different types of businesses and the different types of organizations and and there's no one right organization for every purpose for example a for-profit investor-owned business might be a good model if you have money to invest and you want it to grow a nonprofit like a charitable organization, a 501c3, might be great if you've got a cause that you want to organize support around, whether it's to fight a disease or, or cure something or, or whatever it is of that nature. And a co-op has elements of both of those. It's a business that has to be viable and successful, but yet it has a social purpose, a social mission. So that's, I think, the power of co-ops. It connects with something deep within us, and then it's practical and it accomplishes something real for people day in and day out. We've been on the air now for three and a half years, a little over three and a half years. We were only going to do this for a month, Richard, the month of October, which is co-op month, yes. three and a half years ago. And there was a gentleman named Papa Sin from Senegal. Yes. And he said that co-ops are formed to solve community problems. And he further said, if there's no community problem, there's no need for a co-op. That's, that's very true. That's very true. When you think about co-ops and why they form, so one of the reasons co-ops form is really to, to meet an unmet need to, because there's an imbalance in the market economy. A great example of that is in this country in the 1930s and 40s, something we don't think about very much now, but the rural areas of our country, the wide agricultural areas, didn't have electricity, and the cities did. And the big power companies that provided electricity to the cities and the municipal electric utilities that served within cities, neither one were willing to provide service to the rural areas. The power companies said, hey, there's no profit to be made in the rural areas. They visualized a farmer using only a little bit of electricity, like the naked bulb in the barn. And they said, it's not worth going there. When FDR formed the Rural Electrification Administration, his first attempt was to go to the power companies and see would they be willing to provide electricity in rural areas with government loans. The answer was no. They just didn't think it was financially viable. So how was that need solved? It was solved by people coming together to create their own cooperatives. And with the help of government, they electrified rural America. They collectively community by community, county by county, they created cooperatives. So today there are roughly 800, over 800 rural electric cooperatives. They provide electric power reliably and affordably to about 12 or 13% of our country, and they do a fantastic job. All of the consumer satisfaction surveys show people prefer service by a cooperative as opposed to a private power company that's investor-owned. So it's just an example of the co-op model being used to solve a real need in, in this case, in rural America, and then the co-op doing a great job and then being sustainable for, for many, many decades into the future. So I was privileged to see firsthand the work that electric co-ops did in their community. So what Papa Sen was saying in his community is true here in the U.S. as well. You know, I've had several people from the rural electric on and what's amazing to me is that the grid that the the poles and the lines if you will or underground wherever they put the lines 
Rural electric handles 75% of the land mass in the grid. Yes. Maybe only 12% of the meters or however you measure the customer base, but 75% of the land mass and touching 80% of the counties in in America. It's a a very far reach. It's a a story that needs to be told. It's It's an exciting story. It's an inspiring story. And it's a story that today I don't think many people... Even even realize. Well, I I lived in uh, Prince George's County and got my electricity from. I don't. I live in D.C. now, but <clears throat> from the the co-op there, the mm-hmm. Southern Southern Maryland Electric Co-op. Yeah, uh, I didn't know it was. I didn't even realize at the time that it was a part of a co-op. Right. Um, right. The the bill says it, but there was. I I didn't get it. And I don't think most people get it. Mm-hmm. The same thing in Fairfax. So there there's there's. Co-ops that we call rural, but now because the urban has moved out so much, they're touching urban life also. Sure, that's true around uh, several major U.S. cities, Washington, D.C., of course, being one of those, and Austin and Dallas and Atlanta and and Minneapolis and so forth. By and large, the electric co-ops serve the broad rural areas, as you said, 75% of the landmass, but that model can work in the cities as well. Whenever people come together to meet a common need, the co-op business model is an unsurpassed model to accomplish uh, those goals. So going back, well, first, I got my MBA from Stanford. Mm-hmm. I later learned that Leland Stanford, when he started Stanford, he had also, he was a senator. He put in laws, uh, he, tr- he, he brought forth laws, they didn't get passed, for the worker-owned cooperative. Somewhere he got the light. And he was a, a railroad baron. That's how he made his money. So he was very much capitalistic. But it's sort of like it's always this sort of capital versus labor kind of mm-hmm. debate or argument of friction. Mm-hmm. And so the people that had the capital, if you all of the capital that it needed to run those lines, they wouldn't put that money in there because they couldn't get a return on that. And probably they would have lost money without the government's help. Yeah, I mean, the government provided some help, but they provided loans at their cost of money, uh, which back in the 30s was, you know, right around 2%. Interesting, because right <laughs> right now no. the 10-year the Treasury rate is somewhere around there, not too much over there. Mm-hmm. But uh, so there wasn't a, a great deal of subsidy involved. There was a lot of technical assistance because electricity is um, a specialized service. Uh, but it, it was really more people coming together in their communities around a common need that really changed rural America, you know, from darkness to light. But but the co-op business model, um, one of the things we cover in our class is uh, we go through the the various types of co-ops. And so consumer-owned co-ops, as you know, Vernon, are one of the four types of co-ops. And consumer-owned co-ops would include electric co-ops where the people – who get the electricity, own the co-op. They elect the board of directors. If there are margins or profits at the end of the year, they're allocated back to the members based on how much uh, electricity they buy. Food co-ops are another example of consumer-owned co-ops. Housing co-ops are another example of consumer-owned co-ops. But we also have, as you pointed out, worker co-ops where the business is owned by the workers, and and the workers can share in some of the profits, or some of the some of the benefits that come instead of investors getting that benefit, outside investors. And we also have producer-owned co-ops where 
producers like farmers can come together and they can um, they can buy input products together. They can sell products together. We have some great producer-owned co-ops like, like Cabot Creamery Cooperative up in New England that provides outstanding cheeses and dairy products. We have Organic Valley that does the same thing. And uh, and then the fourth type of co-op is... Um, can we get that after okay. the break? We've got to take our we'll break. Do. We'll get the fourth type of, of co-op when we come back. Just talk about consumers and workers and producers. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O.N. 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Co-op. We are on this wonderful Thursday morning. Uh, we have Mr. Richard Rochelle, who is retired with 43 years of experience, and he's sharing some of that. And we're going to get into probably this segment. What are the kinds of things that he's doing in his retirement? I think he's working more now than he did before. Uh, you were talking about the four types of co-ops. And let me just add this. I, I get when you talk about the definition of a co-op, it's who owns and controls the business. Exactly. That gets to the definition. And so he talked about the people who uses the products and services. It, they're the consumers. If they own it, then it is a consumer co-op. And he gave the electric co-ops, housing co-ops, food co-ops. Then there's a couple like... In Madison, Wisconsin, there is a clinic, a health clinic that's owned by the consumer. So this is a patient-centric co-op. So you got a clinic who sets their policies and procedures based on what the patient's needs are, not the people that own the property, a capitalist, or not the doctors or the management, but the patients own it, and they set the policies. So I found that very, very interesting. So you can have any kind of business if the people that uses that bit, that bit, the products and services, if they own the business, consumer cooperative. And then we talked about the worker cooperative. And my view is that any business, if the workers own it, it could be a co-op. So any business you can think of could be a worker-owned co-op. Mm-hmm. So people ask me, well, what, what could be a co-op? I'd go, any business that you can think of in the world could be a worker-owned co-ops. And then he was talking about the producer-owned co-ops. And the producer-owned co-ops are the ones that... Yes, uh, so they're the ones where the the producers of a product own the co-op. So, for example, the most common types of producer-owned co-ops are really in the agricultural area where the farmers own the co-op. So, for example, uh, Cabot Creamery Cooperative, um, a cooperative is which is owned by about a 1,000 dairy farmers, in New York and New England, they make wonderful cheese, you know, sharp, extra sharp, sharp, seriously sharp, and so forth. And uh, and they do they do a great job. They're owned by the farmers, and so they exist to to make sure the farmers have a market and the farmers can successfully stay in the land. And uh, Organic Valley Cooperative is is a similar cooperative. So those are examples. You could also have a producer co-op, like an art gallery, which is owned by the artist. 
the artist of producers. My wife is an artist. I tell her she's a producer. So if she's part of a gallery owned by the artist, that's an artist cooperative. So any type of business owned by producers. Going back for a moment to consumer co-ops, I would be remiss if I didn't mention credit unions. They are the largest type of consumer co-op in the U.S. Many, many people, many of the listeners today, I'm sure, belong to credit unions. They are co-ops, and uh, they're owned by the, by the people who do business with them, by the customers. The fourth type of co-op we were going to talk about is the, um, the shared services co-op or the purchasing co-ops. And these are co-ops typically where uh, an example of that would be Ace Hardware or True Value Hardware. You have great Ace Hardwares here in uh, D.C. Uh, Gina Schaefer and her husband own several Ace Hardware companies. So they are local hardware stores that come together nationally to purchase products at a, at, a, at a better price so they can pass on great prices to shoppers and then also to market together so people can know the brand name. And, G- uh, Gina Schaefer has been on a couple of times, and I kid her because to me she looks like a cheerleader. Like she's bubbly, oh, yeah. uh, just, just a fan and, and, and very cute, and I've said it to her, to her in front of her husband, okay? So <laughs> I go, how can a cheerleader own a hardware store, okay? Because yeah. I normally think of a hardware store as this you know, big, grumpy guy that, that yeah. used to have a hammer and nail in his hands. And yeah. she said the story was it was not a hardware store in Adams Morgan when her, she and her husband bought it and they were fixing it up. Exactly. There was not, it wasn't there. That's the same thing as there is a need in the community. Yes. And she solved it with the, with the uh, cooperative. Yes. Basically, it's another example, as you were saying earlier, there was an unmet need. How do you solve the unmet need? Well, one way of doing it is through a co-op. Mm-hmm. Really, without Ace Hardware and True Value, it would be very difficult for small hardware stores to compete against the big box stores like Lowe's and, and Home Depot. Uh, but by working together, it's like the, old, the Helen Keller quote I started out with, Alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much. So by hardware stores around the whole country coming together and forming their own brand, purchasing together, they can accomplish so much. And then we as consumers and shoppers have a choice then. We can, we can shop at, at an Ace Hardware or a True Value. We're not captive then by a few large big box companies. It's a much better world. I have... Um define them a little differently. I've defined them the same, just a different name. Where you have a producer co-op, I have called those marketing co-ops. Okay. Where people come together to market their products. The farmers, they all send their, I don't know, I can't remember the number, 9,000, some huge number of farmers come together and they take their milk to Cabot Creamery. Mm -hmm. And then Cabot Creamery processes, add values to it, yep. packages the milk or makes the cheese yep. or cottage, whatever they make, and then they market the products. And so they can get the products to more markets than the farmer could. The small farmer could only perhaps get it to the market right locally, perhaps in a 10-mile, 20, 50-mile area. But then when they come through this marketing co-ops, the marketing co-op has the expertise, they have the contracts, they have the contacts, and then they can send it throughout the, I was going to say the U.S., but throughout the world, they can send these products. Mm -hmm. So they have a bigger footprint of where they can send their products. And then the second one is, uh, on the other end of it, uh, you call it share service 
uh, and you did use the word purchasing. I call those purchasing co-ops. Sure. And the, the two examples of these are artists. The big example are artists and, and farmers. Yes. And, and I've had artists come together that talk about how they will buy equipment together or buy the gallery together or the warehouse so that they'll have space. Or in the in the terms, the, are you familiar with the Federation of Southern Co-ops? Yes, very much so. And they uh, formed during the Civil Rights Movement in the 60s uh, because they couldn't even get gas. When when the blacks decided they wanted to vote and they, they petitioned to vote, then the whites that owned the gas stations uh, would not. And they also kicked some of the sharecroppers off the land just because they wanted to vote. And so the, the black farmers pulled together, bought a truck, what what they needed, mm-hmm. went across state line, bought their gas, and brought it back and distributed it. Right. So is that there was an unmet need for whatever the reason is. And I've had people on, particularly from NCBA, National Cooperative Business Association, that talks about what happens in the world and also from International Co- ICA, International yeah. Cooperative. Yeah, right. the International Cooperative Alliance. Alliance mm-hmm. that talks about how it doesn't make any difference, getting to the, the first principle, it doesn't make any difference of what the political structure is, right. that people will come together to solve needs because there's a basic, we're right. working together. Right. Right. But it also seems like it doesn't make a difference of what your politics are, your religion, or race, male, female. It just doesn't make any difference because there's a basic need for us all to take care of our families. Definitely. One of the things that we're doing in Fredericksburg, Virginia, a group of us have come together to form a food co-op, the Fredericksburg Food Co-op. You can find us at www.fredericksburgfoodcoop.com. And um, so what we're doing is trying to create a co-op that will be focused on healthy local products that will implement the most environmentally sustainable practices and that will give back to the community and especially share information about the link between food and health. And uh, one of the things we say along the lines you were saying, Vernon, is that food is a great unifier. We all eat. It doesn't (laughs) matter if we're Republican or Democrat or Green Party or Socialist or or whatever we are. We all eat. And uh, so food is something that can pull us all together. And, uh, and I, but I think more broadly, co-ops are something that can pull us all together because we all have common needs by working together, regardless of political viewpoint, social viewpoint, race, religion, whatever it is, by working together in a co-op, we can accomplish something for each other and for our communities. There are seven principles that a modern cooperative works under, and the first one is volunteer and open membership. Cooperatives are volunteer organizations open to all persons, able to use their services, and willing to accept the responsibility of membership, regardless of gender, social, racial, political, or religious. It, it, it just doesn't matter. It works. Yes, it works I well. mean, that's, that's exactly correct. Um, and that is a powerful principle that's, uh, you know, sort of at the core, one of the seven principles at the core of what co-ops stand for. It's very interesting when you look back at co-op history, which is one of the things we teach in our class, that this desire to work together collaboratively is probably part of our basic nature as humans. It's part of why we're still surviving as a, as a group. But uh, the modern co-op movement really started in 1844 in, in Rochdale, England, where a group of farmers came together, and, and they had a common need, the, this group of weavers who came together, and the common need was that 
it was during the Industrial Revolution. There was uh, so many exploitations. And, and using the co-op model, they could address some of them. Well, we're going we're gonna to come back because uh, and talk a little bit more about the history, but we're going to take our second break. If you have a question or comment, you could call 1-800-450-7876, and we'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WO at 95.9 FM. All right, this is Vernon Oaks. We're talking about the benefits of cooperatives with Mr. Richard Lorichelle. And the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program. NCB's customers are cooperatives, such as grocery wholesaler cooperatives, food co-ops, purchasing co-ops, credit union, or housing co-ops. Other customers share in the spirit of cooperation driven by democratic organizing principles. They may, may be Native American enterprises, which by their very nature are member-run and member-owned. Others may be community health centers or nonprofit organizations driven entirely by community needs. What they all have in common is a single fundamental principle. They have joined together cooperatively to meet personal, social, and or business needs. And this is what we were talking about before we went on the break, of all of the different co-ops that had that single Objective, how to solve problems coming together. And I'm trying to write this, Helen Keller, all alone we can do little, but together. Together we can do so much. Together. Alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. So that is, and that's what NCB, and NCB is a relatively new organization. In the early 80s, they were put together by Congress. And I'm amazed at how they can do so much because in their mission, they are, providing financial needs to low-income communities. And that's not what most banks do, Richard. That's not what most banks do. <laughs> okay. It's just the opposite. Because most banks are only interested in one, well, three things. Getting their money back, getting their money back, and getting their money back. <laughs> that's yeah. their main thing. Now, they like to make a little bit on, in the process. And so most banks are interested and only interested in loaning to people that already have some assets that if they don't pay this back, then they can go reach those assets and get their money back. In low-income communities, by definition, low-income, there's not very many assets. So this is what NCB does, what their commit mission is, and they do it extremely well. It's a, and, great, it's a great organization. NCB is a great organization. The, the whole electric co the whole movement of co-ops, not electric co-ops, not food co-ops, not housing, but all of the co-ops together are just so fortunate to have NCB as as part of the whole cooperative structure. I know our own food co-op in Fredericksburg, uh, the Fredericksburg Food Co-op. Uh, we have a little bit of cash. We're investing it in a CD with NCB. Uh, and we hope someday to uh, to get a loan from NCB before we open our store. So we're, uh, we love the folks at NCB, whether it's Chuck Snyder, the, the CEO, or whether it's uh, Damie or, or, or any of the employees there. It's a great organization. We're, we're really happy to have them. Well, how did you get cash? You said you have a little cash. So, You're just starting. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, so the co-op model, one of the co-op principles, you talked about the co-op principle of 
voluntary and open membership. That's very important. Another co-op principle is democratic member control, that all of the members have the same vote. So it's one member, one vote. No matter how rich or poor you are, uh, no matter how big or small you are, you get one vote. It's controlled by the members. But another uh, principle is member economic participation. So all the members in a co-op make a certain investment. In the case of our food co-op, every member, which is every household, a member is a household, makes a one-time investment of $200 per household. Not an annual investment, not an annual fee or a charge or whatever that someone gets rich on, but it's a one-time investment uh, made by the household. And so that $200, we have now uh, 439 members. Wow. Yep, after a year and a half, so we're doing pretty well. Uh, but we need to get up to 1,000 members before we open our store. Once we get to 800 members, we will um, we'll acquire a space in Fredericksburg where we can uh, offer healthy local products uh, in an environmentally sustained way that we can share information about the link between food and health. We're already doing that. Uh, and so because we have 439 members, we have uh, uh, cash that was just sitting in a local bank earning no interest at all. And so we, um, we've we transferred a little bit of that cash to NCB and uh, in a one-year CD, and they're, they're paying us... Uh, they're paying us a little bit on it, so we'll you know, we'll make a little bit more money on that, so we can use that for our co-op. So that's how we got the money. Um, so it's it's exciting to see our co-op grow. Uh, starting a food co-op is not easy. It's a three to five year process. Tremendous amount of volunteer work, um, but we're doing it as a way of giving back. Our uh, board members. We have six board members now. We'll expand the board eventually to nine members. Uh, but the board members put in a lot of volunteer time. So many of our members also volunteer, whether it's uh, staffing a table at our farmer's market, whether it's preparing healthy foods uh, for our many events. We have tremendous volunteers. Uh, And so you ask, why would people give their time to this kind of thing? Is it just a grocery store? And I would say, no, it's not just a grocery store. It's not just a grocery store when it's not focused on profits. It's not just a grocery store when it's focused on uh, working with the local farmers, with giving uh, profits back to the community. And so that's the kind of food co-op that we are working to create in Fredericksburg, Virginia. We hope you all come down and and visit us. Okay, I want to go back and unpack some of this. 439 members times 200 is $87,000, $87,800 to be specific. Right. So you've raised... $90,000 rounding up to make it easy conversation. Mm -hmm. And so that gives you a little bit of money. Neighborhoods that I have lived and grown up, that's a lot of money. (laughs) That's not just a lot of money to start. But to start a grocery store, it's a drop in the barrel with all you need. Okay, got it. It's going to probably take us, we're probably going to have to raise about $3.5 million to start a 10,000-square-foot grocery store. About 200000 of that will come from 1,000 members, each making a one-time investment of $200. So that's 200000 uh, That's 200000 Okay. And then uh, we'll go back to the members and invite them to make a member loan to the co-op and hopefully raise about another, uh, you know, $1.5 or more uh, through that mechanism. That's what food co-ops do. And members lend usually at a rate between 0 and 4%. 
uh, co-ops let the member pick the rate. Uh, some members don't need any interest. They just want to get their money back. Some members want a little more. And then the other half uh, of, the, uh, of the loan funds will go to co-op lenders like NCB. Or there's another lender like shared, uh, named Shared Capital, another named Leaf. Uh, so we'll, we'll work with co-op lenders. We'll work with banks, credit unions. Um, so it's a process of putting together the cash. And the member equity is part of that. By the way, I said $200 per household, and that's the amount. But we allow people to uh, do that over time. So they can do as little as $10 a month for 20 months or $20 a month for 10 months. We try to make it easy for people to, uh, to, be, to be members. I'm excited. Um, there is a group in, well, no, let's go back to $3.5 million for a 10,000-square-foot store. Yes. Okay. Uh, three- to five-year process, process. You have six board members now out of the 439 members. Did they elect the board members? Yes, so the members elect the board. In fact, this September, September 24th, uh, we'll have our second annual meeting, and uh, we'll have three board seats up for election at that time. Uh, and board members serve for a three-year term. We have term limits, so no one can serve for more than three consecutive three-year terms, and no one can be board chair for more than a year at a time because uh, we want to give, we want to have people be participating. We want to um, have shared leadership. Uh, and so at our election on September 24th, you all are invited, all your listeners. It'll be at the downtown library on Caroline Street in Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, beginning in the afternoon around 1 o'clock, uh, going to about four, 5 or 4 or 5. We'll have uh, music by some of our members, probably bluegrass music. We'll have a report uh, on the progress of our co-op. We'll have free food, healthy food. We always like to have healthy food. A lot of it's vegetarian. Uh, and it's delicious. Uh, so we encourage all of you listeners to come and learn about our co-op at that meeting. Okay. Who set these rules up? You said uh, three terms of three years is the max. Right. So, so we have bylaws uh, that are published on our website. Uh, when we started, we started with five members. We called ourselves the five foolish members. Uh, <laughs> So, because you got to be foolish to uh, probably, some, some, you know, some would think to to volunteer for three to five years to start up a grocery store. Uh, but uh, uh, so we developed bylaws based on the models that used by food co-ops around the country. There's a wonderful group called the Food Co-op Initiative (FCI). Uh, Stuart Reed is the director. Uh, Jacqueline Hanna is a key person there, and and they develop a template for bylaws for food co-ops. We also got extremely uh, great help from the Friendly City Food Co-op, which is in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Steve Cook, the manager there, has been very generous with his advice to us. And so they all shared their documents. So we looked at them, reviewed them, and came up with uh, a set of bylaws, which are right on our website and uh, our um, other, other ground rules that we operate by. Um, and uh, any changes to those bylaws need to be approved at an annual meeting or a meeting of our members uh, because it's the members that own the co-op. So there's not a government entity or a, or a financial entity that's telling you what you have to do? No, it's not at all. So that's another co-op principle. Called number four. Number four, <laughs> autonomy and independence. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so every co-op, 
is controlled only by one force, by one group of people, and it's the members. There's no bank, even if we get a loan from the NCB uh, or from any bank or credit union, they won't control the co-op. The members control the co-op. So that's a fundamental co-op principle that we, that we live by. One member, one vote, and it has to be controlled by the, by the uh, members. And when Dame Pauline Green, who was with ICA, she said a lot of African countries, the government wanted to tell the businesses how to be run. Yes. Um, and uh, they got that change so that the, the members can are the ones, the only ones that can say how it's run. And the fifth one is my favorite. This is what got me so interested in co-ops in the first place, what got me excited about them, and that is education, training, and information. And I really thought that was the main reason that it took three to five years. It sounds like there's other reasons you're telling now, like raising the money, um, getting a solid uh, governance uh, together. Um, But education, training, and information, at least if that's not why it takes the three to five, and I want you to speak to this, this is what I've I've been told is the reason that most co-ops don't fail, that in that 90% of, of co-ops, after they start, and they're still around after five years, yes. where in a capitalistic model, you only have about, it was 15 to 30% that are still around after five years. Yes, the survival rate for co-ops is very high. Um, and it's because you have the member buy-in. You know, the members own the business. The members want to shop there. The members control it. And if the, if the business doesn't do what the members want, the members change it because they're the owners of it. Um, but education, training, and information is extremely important. So I talked about our startup food co-op uh, with 439 members. We don't have a store yet. We don't have a physical location. But we're a co-op. We're a legally organized co-op. We're incorporated in the state of Virginia. And, uh, and so we've moved ahead with our mission of education, training, and information. So every month we hold a number of sessions uh, providing education, training, and information. And it's really around two key factors. One is the co-op principles, the kinds of things that Vernon and I are talking about today. What is a co-op? I, uh, we have something in Fredericksburg called Nerd Night. <laughs> Nerd Night. <laughs> where, where, uh, where they invite three people locally to talk for 20 minutes and then do 10 minutes of Q&A. So they were kind enough to invite me this Monday night uh, at the Red Dragon Brewery on Princess Anne Street uh, to talk about the co-op principles. So I mm-hmm. did that. It was, it, was, it was exciting. It was fun. It was enjoyable. And I didn't even have anything to drink. Okay. And, but, but the other principle that we, uh, that we share uh, is, uh, because we're a food co-op, the link between food and health. And, yeah. and that's a very important principle. And we're taking a final break. The hour goes by real quick when you're having fun. And, uh, Richard, I really appreciate your coming in and sharing this. We'll be right back. This is Vernon Oaks. We're talking about cooperatives. The program is Everything Co-op. You can get information about us on our webpage, everything.coop. And we have Mr. Richard LaRochelle on with us today, and he's 
mainly talking about starting a food co-op in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And you can find information about their co-op with 439 members on fredericksburgfoodcoop.com. And I would encourage you, Richard, just so I can get this in, you may want to change your your webpage to fredericksburgfood.coop. That's a great suggestion. Thank you. Yeah. This education, and I'm, I would like, again, I, I've taught school for 12 years. I've been in school. I've got two masters. I've been in school a long time, <laughs> and I've taught, and I love the classroom. Yeah. So I know you said you're teaching a class now at Mary Washington. Yes, University of Mary Washington in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Okay. On, what is it called, the title? Uh, the Cooperative Business Model. And I'm doing it, uh, I'm co-teaching it with my friend Adam Schwartz, who's with the Cooperative Way. And uh, we, uh, we love doing it. It's a chance for, for us to share information that we've accumulated over the course of our lifetime on cooperatives. And so we go through the various types of co-ops. We go through the co-op principles. Uh, we talk about uh, co-op accounting. We talk about co-op finance and marketing and so forth. And in every segment, we have a leader of, of a particular co-op segment come as a guest speaker to the co-op, uh, uh, to, to the, the class, class, so that the class can see, uh, they can see from someone who's in the business day in and day out what it really is like to embody these co-op principles. So it's, it's a fun, enjoyable, exciting, refreshing experience. Uh, these young people are, are business majors mostly, uh, are probably all business majors, and uh, for them to be exposed to the co-op business model early in their life our hope is that some of them will end up working for co-ops, uh, and, it, and if they don't do that, at least they'll have a broader awareness of what co-ops are. Um, one thing all of our listeners, all of your listeners can do is belong to a co-op if you can, a credit union and so forth. Secondly, look around and see where there are co-ops, buy co-op products, and shop at co-ops. There's a saying that Every time we shop, we're voting with our dollars on the kind of world we want to have. And so when you vote wow. with your dollars by shopping at a co-op or buying a co-op product, you're, you're, you're voting for uh, a business that cares about the community. You're voting for a group of people who are trying to meet a common need. You're voting for a, a, a business type that believes in education and training. You're voting for people who care about their communities. And so... Those kinds of things make a difference. So I want to go down these last two principles. We have talked about the first one is volunteer and open membership, democratic member control, one member, one vote, member economic participation. You put something in, and if there's a profit, you get something out, and it's the members that decide how much is given out, how much is kept in the business, or how much is given back to the community. Autonomy and independence, Education, training, and information is number five. And number six is cooperation among cooperatives. Have you seen that much in your 43-year career in co-ops? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So let me talk a little bit about the electric co-ops to begin with. They, they do a tremendous job of working together. So there are around the United States 800-plus local electric distribution co-ops. These are the co-ops that have the poles and wires, and they distribute power to retail, uh, to residences, to businesses, to churches throughout rural America, as Vernon was saying, 75% of the land area of the country. But these co-ops are all individual businesses, but they've come together 
uh, to meet their common needs. So they have jointly owned generation and transmission co-ops where they acquire power at better prices, more reliably together. They created their own financing co-op that I worked at called the Cooperative Finance Corporation, National Rural Utilities Cooperative Finance Corporation, because banks in the 1960s and 70s weren't willing to lend to electric co-ops. And so co-ops said they talked to banks, they talked to credit unions, they talked to uh, insurance companies, they talked to a bunch of folks, and none of, no one was willing to lend to them. So the co-ops did what co-ops always do. They said, we'll do Found it ourselves. We'll, we'll do it ourselves. And so they formed their own cooperative called CFC. So the electric co-ops have done great things in that area, but other segments have done, have done a lot too. I was on the board of the National Co-op Business Association, a great organization that, um, that represents all types of co-ops. So f- it fosters this type of cooperation among cooperatives. Uh, this is a core principle. It's a very important principle, and it's one that, uh, that I think co-ops take very seriously. And number seven is concern for community. Well, I like to say that if you weren't concerned about community, you'd never start a co-op <laughs> <laughs> because, because a co-op is all about the community. It's, uh, so there, uh, you know, there are certain characteristics of every co-op, uh, and one is providing benefits to members in the community, and uh, and definitely co-ops do that. In the case of our Fredericksburg Food Co-op, we um, we uh, you know we'll be working with local farmers uh, to help them to have a better market for their products. We'll help them to enlarge their markets. Uh, we will also provide information on the link between food and health. And then when our grocery store co-op makes a profit. It goes back to the members uh, based on the amount of shopping they do there. So that's how we will try to embody this uh, concern for community. Um, Councilman Vincent Gray in the district um, has put together about three, well, it's more than that, but laws of trying to get money to start to build a hospital in um, Ward 8, which is mm-hmm. perhaps the lowest economic award in the area in the D.C. So, And he's also wanted to build two food grocery stores, and he wants to rent them out to a Safeway or Giant. And then he, um, oh, he also wanted to create retail space in Ward 7 and Ward 8. Okay, across the river. Uh, he called it the West End, or is it the East, the East End of the city? He wanted to rename it instead of across the river. And so I I had an opportunity to testify, and what was interesting, it started at at 11 o'clock, and they expected to have been over at 1. Well, when I testified at (laughs) 4, okay, it was, I think, 70 to to 100 people willing to test. It was wonderful, but it was making a connection between health and food. Mm -hmm. And I was there to make the connection of food co-ops, and I'm going... And I did some research that the normal grocery stores, I don't know, they were 50,000 square, some huge number of square feet, but the food co-ops were 10 to 20,000 square feet, a lot less square footage. Yes. Um, the, the employees made more money. They had yes. better health insurance. They, yes. Okay, it was just all around for me better for, and if they made money, it stayed in the community, yes. okay, with those owners. Yes. So. I was making that argument. I'm not sure where I got, but I was going, you could build four to five 
food co-ops in Ward 7 and Ward 8 uh, with the same dollars that you would do to two major grocery stores. Now, I really appreciate him putting this forward. I'm hoping we can get him and other people to see that food co-ops would be a better bet than a Giants and Safeway or Harris Teeter or whomever. I, I, I totally agree with you. Not to criticize any other type of business, but a co-op is very sustainable. It takes more time to develop it because it's really community organizing. It's really getting the word out to people, having people decide the co-op is a good fit for me. I want to join it. I'm going to put a few dollars in it to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, co-ops, uh, food co-ops really led the whole natural food movement in the U.S. that was then taken over by some other other grocers. The, the problem with bringing in a for-profit uh, you know, business that's not community owned is they can decide whenever they want to to leave. Yep. And and some of those businesses are owned by people uh, who are you know not even in, in in the U.S. They might be owned by a company in the Netherlands or somewhere. You know, it could be anywhere: Chicago, Dallas, wherever the heck it is. Nothing wrong with any of that. But what what you have with a food co-op is you have a business owned by the community, controlled by the community existing to benefit the community, connecting the community together, connecting local farmers. It's such a great model. It is a great model. What We're almost out of time, and I just would like to have another hour with you, Richard. So what's the message you would like to leave people with today? Well, the, method I, the message I'd like to leave people with really is to um, encourage everyone to when you see a problem in your community, uh, to think about the different kinds of solutions and to think about, uh, is there a co-op solution? Is there something we can do together to create a business that, that I don't own as an individual, that's not owned by an outside investor, but that's owned by us collectively to achieve a common goal? So that's one lesson. Another point I'd like to uh, make is... Um, uh, when we do our shopping, if we can look around, get go to the Ace Hardwares, go to our credit unions, look at the products that come from farmer co-ops, whether it's Cabot, uh, Cabot cheese or Organic Valley or whatever it might be. Lando Lakes. Uh, you know, Lando Lakes and so forth and so on. Understand who the co-ops are and, and, and prefer them. If you can buy something from them, you know, all the better. Uh, and the third point I'd like to make is please come down to Fredericksburg and, okay. and visit our Fredericksburg Food Co-op. We'd love to have you at our events. If you go to our website, fredericksburgfoodcoop.com, you'll see a list of our events. Love to see all of you there. Thank you, Richard. It's been great. And everybody out there, we'll see you next Thursday. In the meantime, in this week, please, please, please live cooperatively. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O.S. at 95.9.